Thanks, Michael. Good morning, everyone. My name's uh, Tim. I'm the senior minister here. And uh, we're going to reflect on that Bible reading together from Matthew uh, 13. Uh, If you'd like to, you can have that open. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. And uh, it's good to sort of follow along and see what it actually says as we reflect on it together. Now, I don't know what you're like at uh, RSVPing to events. Uh, Some people are particularly good at this and as soon as they get an invitation, they're straight onto it, making a decision, are they going, are they not going, and letting the people organising the event know about it. Uh, Maybe some of you were invited today to especially come to the baptism and uh, you had to RSVP. Maybe some of you did, maybe some of you didn't. Um, A clear and decisive response, yes, I'm going, no, I'm not going, is very helpful for the person organising the event. uh, most of us are not so good at it though. I am confess that I'm not great at uh, RSVPing and that can often be very frustrating, can't it, for the person who's organising the event. I mean, how do you know how much cabana that you need to buy when you don't know how many people are coming? And interpreting RSVPs has become increasingly difficult in recent years uh, with the advent of Facebook events. So most of the uh, events that I'm invited to these days are actually... Uh, Facebook events and I'm invited via Facebook and uh, Facebook actually has three options for your RSVP here's event, an event I was invited to this week you can uh, click going can't go and maybe okay so built into the entire Facebook system is the option of being completely indecisive up until a later point uh, maybe waiting and seeing if you uh, can get a better offer before you decide to respond. And various people have tried to interpret what, is it, what does a maybe response actually mean? Uh, here's a, a bit of a pie chart, someone sort of interpreting what they think maybe means. Uh, maybe small slice could be a yes, a small slice could actually be a maybe, but really it basically means no. Um, my interpretation is something like this. Um, I don't really want to go to your event, I haven't really got a good excuse not to go, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm going to click maybe. It's just that that's too long to put on a Facebook button. It doesn't fit, so maybe what we've got. Now, responding to a Facebook event uh, is one thing, isn't it? But we've been thinking over the past few weeks in church together about the kingdom of God, something far more important to think about our role in. And we've been looking at the kingdom of God through a series of stories that Jesus told. Jesus often taught through stories, little uh, images and pictures to describe the complexity of life in God's kingdom. Now the kingdom of God describes God's rule over the world and over people. It describes everything that God is doing in the world and in our lives where he's establishing his way of doing things, where God's will is done, where things are the way that God intended them to be. And over the last couple of weeks we've seen that God's kingdom is actually growing in the world. Despite the fact that we still see a lot of evil and suffering existing in the world, God's kingdom is actually growing and Jesus taught us through a story a way that we can understand this reality of his kingdom growing amidst evil and suffering even as we see it. Um, And we also looked at the fact that God's kingdom may seem small and insignificant like a mustard seed was the image that Jesus used but that actually God works through ordinary things and through ordinary people and that his kingdom will prevail in the end. 
And this week we've heard two more stories from Jesus, the story of the hidden treasure and the story of the valuable pearl. Uh, Sometimes this is called the pearl of great price. Um, And Jesus challenges us in these stories about our need to respond personally to the kingdom of God. He wants us to give a yes or a no, not a maybe response. Uh, Jesus' first story concerns some treasure that had been hidden in a field. Now this might seem a bit of a strange story. This is the sort of thing that we only tend to come across in pirate adventure stories these days. Um, you know, Captain Blackbeard burying his treasure in the sand on a, on a treasure island. But in actual fact, at the time of Jesus, this was a relatively common way for people to protect their wealth. There were no banks that you could really deposit in and, you know, houses didn't have safes in them. Uh, They probably didn't even have locks on the door. And so what people would do is, under the cover of darkness, they would go out to their fields and they would bury their treasure in the field so that it would be secure in case they were robbed or if an invading army came through and uh, uh, cleaned out everyone's possessions. So they could put it there to be dug up at a later point. And that seems to be the scenario that we've got here. But in Jesus' story, a man stumbles across some treasure that's been hidden in a field and we're told that he then hides it again, purchases the field and so that he can get the treasure. Now, I don't know how you feel about this scenario, okay? I don't know how you feel about the man's actions here. Uh, For some of us, it seems a bit, how should we put it, dodgy (laughs) in terms of what he's doing. Um, you know, is he being a bit deceitful by burying this treasure again in someone else's field uh, and then buying the field uh, without letting him know about it? Well, Jesus isn't trying to teach sort of the morality of hidden treasure here or what to do if you find something, should you report it to the police or not. That's not the point of this story. But actually, when you understand it in the context of the time, um, what he's doing is totally legitimate anyway. So firstly, the treasure clearly doesn't belong to the person who owns the field. If it did, he wouldn't sell the field, would he, with the treasure still in it? So it's not his. It's obviously been buried by someone previously and forgotten about. Secondly, the law at the time stated that if money or valuables were found and the owner was obviously lost or dead, then the finder had the right to keep it. Okay? It was finders keepers, literally, Uh, at that time. And lastly, um, if he was a really dodgy character, if he was um, sort of deceitful, then what would he have done? Well, he would have just taken the treasure, wouldn't he? Wouldn't have bothered buying the field, but he did, you know, purchase the field where the treasure lay and so that he could obtain the treasure. His honesty is actually demonstrated by his willingness to buy the field. Indeed, we're told he sells everything in order that he can buy the field and recover the treasure. And the second story is similar. Here we've got a merchant who's on the lookout for fine pearls. He's actually hunting for this particular treasure. He's on the lookout for pearls. That's his business. He's an expert in the field. Uh, And pearls at the time were were highly sought after. They were scarce and diving to retrieve them was difficult and dangerous. Um, In fact, they were the most highly prized gem in the ancient world. Kind of like Uh, equivalent, I guess, to a diamond today. And this merchant finds a truly exquisite one and he determines to have it, so he sells everything he has 
in order to buy it. So these are the two stories. They're short, they're simple, and uh, the question is, what is Jesus trying to teach us through these two stories about the kingdom of God? There's a series of things, I think, that we need to take away from these stories. Firstly, Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God is incredibly valuable. The kingdom of God is like a pile of buried treasure. It's like the finest pearl that someone has ever seen. It's incomparably good and it's worth everything to get hold of it. You might say that it's absolutely priceless. Now Jesus doesn't tell us here why the kingdom of God is so valuable. He tells us that it is valuable but he doesn't explain why. But the rest of the Bible really unpacks why this is such a great treasure that we can have. Why the Christian message is described as the gospel, which means good news. It is great news, uh, this message of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is about being in a living relationship with the living God. It's about knowing God and relating to God, the God who made us and who loves us. It's about having our sins forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That our wrong actions, our wrong words, our wrong attitudes no longer stand in condemnation against us because they've been forgiven, they've been dealt with by Jesus Christ. We are washed completely clean of our sins. That's why baptism is such a powerful symbol of what is going on in terms of our relationship with God and entering the kingdom of God. With the water here that we have uh, seen, uh, it represents that cleansing from sin that we have through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is about having God's Holy Spirit live within us. God himself, his power and his presence living in our lives to transform us and to change us so that we can live lives of love and service in the world. Finding true freedom to live as God designed us as human beings and intended us to live as his children. Uh, the kingdom of God is about universal community, bringing us into a family centred on the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, uh, a family that is committed to loving, supporting and caring for one another. Again, through this baptism service, we've spoken about how this is about a welcome into the life of the church. As we enter into relationship with Christ Jesus, we enter into a family, his family, the church, working together to love one another and to be loved in return and inviting other people to join this family as well. The kingdom of God is about a hope-filled future, knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, that in him death has been beaten, um, and he has promised us that as he has been raised from the dead, so too that is the hope for those who trust in him, that death will not beat us ultimately, but we will be raised as Christ has been raised. Knowing that despite all the evil and all the suffering that we see taking place in the world around us, that is not the final story, that God will bring justice, and as the Bible itself says, he will wipe every tear from our eyes knowing that God has promised the complete renewal of creation in the new heaven and the new earth when God's kingdom has come in its fullness.
I could go on to describe the beauty and the wonder of the kingdom of God. I'm really only scratching the surface here, but I hope you get the sense already that God's kingdom truly is a treasure which cannot have a price tag put on it. How do you put a monetary value on the sorts of things that I've described? Relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, entry into a universal community and hope beyond death, eternal life. And did you notice in the story as it was read out the emotional response of the man who finds the hidden treasure in the field? The passage says that in his joy, in his joy, he sells all that he has in order to obtain the treasure. There's this emotional connection. He realises that this is what he's been looking for and it affects him emotionally as he experiences joy. And that's a good way to describe discovering the kingdom of God, of discovering relationship with God and his rule in our lives. It brings joy. Uh, The author, uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, I'm reading uh, through the Narnia books with uh, Abigail, our oldest uh, at the moment, also uh, penned an autobiography, and his autobiography is called Surprised by Joy. Uh, He describes his journey from atheism to Christianity. Uh, All his life, uh, even when he rejected God, he was on a search, he was on a journey for something elusive. Glimpses of things that he had seen which showed that life was more than what he was presently experiencing. But despite his searching, despite his grasping, despite, him, despite sort of you know, seeking in various directions to find the source of this joy, it eluded him. He couldn't find it until reluctantly, <laughs> it has to be said, reluctantly he realised that actually it was God that he was searching for. He was the only one who could give him joy. And as he later write, wrote, uh, these famous words, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We've been created for relationship with God We've been created to be part of this kingdom that God offers us. It's the source of true joy, what we're searching for. It is a priceless treasure to be had. The kingdom of God is immensely valuable. But secondly, uh, despite the immense value of God's kingdom, it's somewhat hidden. It's interesting, isn't it? The treasure is hidden in the field and the pearl to be found took some searching for. Now that might surprise you, it might even frustrate you and annoy you that this is the case. Uh, People often say, don't they, if God is real, if God exists, why doesn't he make himself perfectly clear? Why doesn't he reveal himself to me? But he doesn't. Uh, Jesus uh, says here, uh, what Jesus says here in these stories is actually consistent with the other stories that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Jesus has spoken about the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's described the kingdom of God as a small and insignificant mustard seed. It doesn't seem very impressive. It seems ordinary, despised, outdated, irrelevant. Jesus has spoken about wheat and weeds which grow alongside each other. 
So even within the church, there is both good and bad together. Um, In the church, there are petty conflicts, unwelcoming people, even abusive behaviour. And yet, this coexists alongside uh, sacrificial acts of love and service, amazing generosity. Now, these things like the petty conflicts and the other things that take place don't belong in the kingdom of God and they're not to be excused but they're real and they can offer obscure, often obscure the, the beauty and the power of the kingdom of God and the value of the church. If I can put it like this, the kingdom of God is hidden in plain sight. It's there to be found, but people often look past it or ignore it or think that it's not as significant as it is. Uh, think about it like this. Imagine you walk into uh, one of the o- local op shops in Diamond Creek and you're looking along the shelves uh, and this is what you, you come across as you look on one of the shelves. It's just an old camera, doesn't look like much, it's pretty dusty, it's worn out. I mean, who knows, it probably doesn't even work, does it? And you pass it by and think it's insignificant, it's what, not worth a second glance. But see, if you had eyes to see, you would know that this is far more valuable than that. That this, is, uh, this camera is one of just four that were ever made of this type of camera. Uh, and when someone brought this along to the um, Antiques Roadshow, <laughs> I don't watch the show, by the way, I, just, <laughs> I found this on Google, um, it was estimated that this was worth over a million pounds. An immensely valuable treasure, except most of us would see it and think nothing of it because we wouldn't realise how valuable it actually is. And that's the case with the kingdom of God. I might say these things to you, that the kingdom of God is about relationship with the living God. It's about the forgiveness of your sins. It's about universal community and it's about a sure hope for the future. It's a treasure that is there, it's in plain sight. But some of you will shrug your shoulders perhaps and think, I don't see the worth of those things. You don't see its real value like the value of that camera which is hidden from you. Uh, In the words of C.S. Lewis, we prefer the mud pies in the slum rather than the holiday at the seaside. Drink and sex and ambition, as he puts it, not to mention career, family, sport and luxuries, things that the world around us say are so valuable, but contrasted with the true value of the kingdom of God, its eternal value simply aren't worth it. The treasure of the kingdom of God is there, and yet many people miss it. But thirdly, although it is missed by many people, it can be found. And it is found in a variety of circumstances. Despite all the similarities between these two stories, they do tell essentially the same point. There's a big difference there too, isn't it? Um, Both men discover a great treasure, but one of them simply stumbles across it in a field. He doesn't seem to be particularly looking for it. It's just an accident that he finds it. And the other man has been hunting for it for years searching until he finds this fine pearl and gets hold of it. And it's the same, isn't it? People discover the kingdom of God in different ways. Uh, Maybe you're here in church today and you're certainly not looking for God. You're not sure why you're here or you've been invited to come by a friend or whatever. And yet already today something has struck you, almost accidentally. Um, You've heard something or you've seen something and it's, it's resonated with you. Uh, Perhaps you're like that man in the field who somehow stumbled today 
across the treasure of the kingdom of God, even though you weren't really looking for it. But for others of you, it may be different. Maybe for others, you've been on a very serious quest to find spiritual truth and to find the reality of what life is all about. Maybe you've explored different religions, you've studied a variety of philosophies and worldviews, you find Jesus interesting as a historical figure and have examined something of his life and teaching. You might have been in this process of search for years or even decades. But now you feel that you're finally grasping that what Jesus says and does is actually possibly true. That he does in fact, perhaps, reveal God's kingdom to us and invite us to be part of it. It's been a long search, but perhaps you feel that you've finally found something of value. The kingdom of God can be found, can be found by each one of us, but in different circumstances, different circumstances that each of us bring here today. Whatever your circumstances, though, it is there and it can be found. And that leads me to my final and crucial point, really, of this parable. It's really the crux of what Jesus is saying, and that is that the kingdom of God actually requires a response from each one of us. Having realised that there is treasure before them, treasure that they can have, the two men in the stories both determine that they will have it, that they must obtain the treasure, that they will obtain the treasure, and they're prepared to give up anything in order to get it. Now, of course, you can't actually buy your way into the kingdom of heaven, can you? Nor can you uh, somehow earn it through your own good works, earn a place in God's kingdom somehow because you're a good person. The Bible is actually quite clear that God brings us into his kingdom entirely by his grace. The entire purpose of Jesus' life, his death on the cross and his resurrection is so that he can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He deals with our sin and offers us forgiveness and a relationship with God by the good work that he does rather than our good work. I've said before um, that entering the kingdom of God costs us nothing and yet it costs us everything as well. It costs us nothing because it is actually God's gift to us through Jesus Christ. It is his work, not ours, that brings us into God's kingdom, enables relationship with God, offers us complete forgiveness. So it costs us nothing, but it costs us everything too. Why does it cost us everything? Because it's the kingdom of God that we're entering. We're coming under the rule and the reign of God. That's what the kingdom of God means. So in entering, we're actually submitting ourselves, our whole selves, to him and to his good and loving kingship. That means that everything that we are and everything that we have is now at his disposal. Uh, how I operate my family life, how I study or I work, what I do with my money, how I use my time, how I relate to people who are opposed to me, enemies. That's going to be different because I'm under God's rule rather than the way that I might choose to do things of my own accord. Everything is different. Everything is changed because we have a new ruler if we enter the kingdom of God. We do things his way and his kingdom is radically different. We're free to enter. It costs us nothing. But we bring ourselves 
into the kingdom and place ourselves, our whole selves and every part of ourselves under the rule and reign of God. Is that a sacrifice? Sounds like a big cost, doesn't it? To give everything that we are and everything that we have to God. Is that a sacrifice too great to make? If it costs you everything to follow God, have you lost out, perhaps? Well, the answer to that question can only be answered, can't it, by the value of the kingdom of God. I mean, what price do you place on a relationship with the living God? What price do you pay, um, place on having your sins forgiven, being part of universal loving community, of having eternity with God in a new heaven and new earth? There's no comparison, is there? And so it isn't actually a sacrifice, although it may feel like it at the time. When others are building up personal worth or advancing their career, doing whatever they like, but we know that these things don't bring true joy. They don't bring true joy in the present and we'll be disappointed in the long run as well because these things don't truly last. Jesus himself says later in the Gospel of Matthew these words, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Neither the man who buys the field to get the treasure nor the pearl merchant feels like they've been shortchanged. They know that they have a far greater treasure than they had before. So the challenge for each of us here today, whatever our circumstances, whatever's brought us here, whatever has preceded today in our lives, is how do we respond to the kingdom of God? It's this great treasure that lies before us. Whatever our circumstances, we're actually at a moment of decision as we sit here together today. How are we going to respond? In the words again of our baptism service this morning, will we choose to turn to Christ as those making the promises said that they had done today? They had turned to Christ. Will we do that and in turning to Christ therefore enter into God's kingdom? And having entered, are we willing to bring our whole selves and every part of ourselves placing it under the good and loving rule of God and allowing his kingdom to be at work in us and through us as we work together to see his kingdom grow and advance in the world. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kingdom is a great treasure and we ask that you would give us eyes to see the great treasure of what relationship with you uh, means and looks like in our day-to-day -day lives. Help us to see and to experience the joy of your kingdom and whatever our circumstances today, Lord, help us to be responsive to this invitation of entering your kingdom. Help us to receive it and to give ourselves to you that we might be a part of your kingdom and experience all the joy and blessing that comes with it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.